Uh, if you're like me, and uh, as I was growing up, and now that I have kids, the goal every year, it seems like, the unwritten, unspoken goal, is for this Christmas to be the best Christmas ever. Anybody feel that? You're like, man, there was last year, but this Christmas is going to be the best Christmas ever, the most memorable Christmas. And there are some things that we often utilize uh, that we help to uh, hold up our expectations of what this best Christmas ever is going to look like. So what are some of the ways, y'all can help me out on this one, but what are some of the ways that we, um, what are some of the ways that we try to make this the best Christmas ever? So I'll kick us off, all right? Uh, we like playing Christmas music in the house, right? What are some other traditions that we have that it's just like, man, this feels like Christmas? And during the next three weeks, we're kind of, we're leading up to Christmas saying, we want this to be the best Christmas ever. What are some other traditions that we have, Christmas traditions, anybody? Decorations, food, yeah, my favorite. Putting up a tree, elves, gifts, Gingerbread house, man, I have not yet figured out how to do that well. Even, yeah, ours fall apart. It's like, hey, that looks awesome, kids. <laughs> Y'all ready to eat it? Okay, let's go. Getting all the Christmas movies in, yes. Candy making. That's what I'm talking about. Y'all know where I am. What else? Anybody else? Christmas cookies, yes. Chocolate chip ones, Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Like the soft ones, not the crunchy ones. Yeah. Yeah, so this time of year is, is busy. And it's often a struggle year after year, this time of year, even though we're, we're filled with anticipation, filled with uh, excitement. There's also a certain amount of anxiety filled with it. So we can look back at, at this time of year, and we know that Christmas is fun, but it's also got its challenges. It can be difficult. Uh, because between all of these things that y'all just mentioned, between the busyness, the shopping, the presents, the Christmas lists, the parties, the after parties, the concerts at school, hanging out with family, and then obviously setting up the therapist appointments that ensue, all of those things, along with what we're experiencing in our society, from uh, economic instability to gl global conflicts to us not knowing what's going to happen with the college football playoff this afternoon, amen? Like, all of these things are weighing us down, like this time of year. So here's the question that I want us to ask this morning, is what would it take for this to be the best Christmas ever? What would it take for this to be the best Christmas ever? Because all of those things that we mentioned, we've engaged with all of those things before, but this year we have a certain expectation that's greater than last year's expectation. And here's what I would like to pose for us this morning. One word. What can make this the best Christmas ever? And that's love. Love. You're like, okay, well, yeah, let's, let's. so we're going to talk about that. All right, so go to 1 John with me if you would. I want us to walk through this passage together. Monty just read this for us. But the one thing that can make this the best Christmas ever is love. So if we look here at 1 John chapter 4, if you have your Bible with me, you can follow along either a physical Bible or on your phone. But he begins here, this is John writing this. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God, and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, if you think back to elementary school, did you ever have a crush in elementary school? 
Just raise your hand. Anybody have a crush in elementary school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had uh, Jordan Spencer from, uh, Shannon just said, huh? <laughs> it's all right. She probably like rides Harleys now, you know, or something. I don't know. So, but it, when I was in kindergarten all the way through elementary age, it was just, uh, she was just the love of my life, right? She never paid attention to me, probably didn't even know what my name was. It's okay. But here's what we do when we're in elementary school. When we talk about love, we find somebody like, oh man, she's cute. Or he's cute, you know, if you're a lady, hopefully. Um, but I, I was, oh man, she's really cute. And so what we do is we write notes, right? So I'd write a note, we write a note to a girl. This is elementary love. And you write a note and it's got a few questions on it, right? It starts with, I like you. Then the questions come. Do you like me? Check a box. Yes, no, or maybe. Then the next question, do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. The third question, will you be my girlfriend? Yes, no, or maybe. You know what I'm talking about? And then you take, no, no, you don't take the note to the girl, do you? What do you do? You give it to a friend. You know what I'm talking about. So we all, this is, this is our idea of love from a very early age. And not, not much has changed, am I right? So we, we take it to the friend and the friend says, hey, go give, go give it to her. So, uh, so she fills it out. And normally she would check no on the first couple ones. You know, do you like me? No. Uh, do you love me? No. But then hopefully she's checking maybe on the third one. You know, that's usually what I got back. It was like, do you like me? No. Do you love me? No. Will you be my girlfriend? Maybe. You know, we'll see. And that's our idea of what love is. But that's not real love. Because real love takes a risk. Real love puts itself out there. Real love sacrifices. With real love, there's an engagement. There's an initiation. So when we talk about love, John here is not talking about this love that is simply based on what we see. It's not simply based on, ah, I'm going to put myself out there. Hopefully it works out. You know, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to risk anything. I'm going to play this one really safe. Here he's talking about a love that sacrifices. Notice what he, we'll keep going. Verse number nine. So when he says that God is love, what is he talking about? Verse number nine. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So he's about to say, in this, here's how we know what love is, okay? So he's setting it up. Here's what he says. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Everybody say propitiation. Yeah, that one's fun. So here's how we often define love. This is not very far off from us filling out a note and giving it to our friend to deliver, okay? The first type of way that we often define love is the notebook, okay? Honest to God, my number one favorite movie in the whole world, okay? People often ask me, are you serious? I'm like, yes. Yes, I am. Here's what we think about when we think about love, though, is we have this sentimental feeling of love. It's like, oh, man, by the end, you know, they, they dated early, they saw each other, and then by the end, they're holding hands, and they, and they die together in the bed. We're like, oh, man, that gives me, oh, it feels so good. But if you think back to earlier in the movie, <laughs> yeah. it's been out for like 20 years, man. But it's still worth it. I looked for it on Friday as I was thinking about what love is. I was like, the notebook. That's real love. And I could not find it on any streaming platform except for Amazon, and I had to pay for it. And I was like, nah, I've got the DVD downstairs somewhere. I'm not paying for this. Uh, so I turned on a Christmas movie, you know, something uh, spiritual. Uh, so what was the Christmas movie we watched? 
I don't know. So it wasn't really spiritual. So uh, when we think about the notebook, earlier in the movie, we have a young lady who falls in love with the love of her life. And then she ends up going back to her high school boyfriend. She's like, ah, yeah, but this guy has money and this makes more sense. So even when we think about this sentimental love in the end, we're like, oh, this is beautiful. There's still all this conflict all throughout. That's not true love. The second way that we often think about love is tolerance. So if you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want to do. And not only will you tolerate what I'm doing, whoa, 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 that's not very loving. This is what our culture says. Hey, if you love me, not only will you tolerate it, but you'll also celebrate it. You'll come alongside of me and say, good for you. Look at you. You believe that? Awesome. Let's put you on a platform. That's what real love is because the opposite of love, our culture says, is hate. And we're like, oh, you can't say anything hateful or mean to anybody. We must love and we must tolerate everybody. The third type of way that we define love is as a vending machine. And we do this with God all the time, right? Our prayers go in and our blessing comes out. We're like, God, if you really loved me, that as I pray for these things, you would supply the things that I want. That's what real love is, right? Hey, wife, if you really loved me, then I'd do the dishes and you rub my feet, all right? Y'all weren't sure where that was going. So it's like, if I do this for you, it's this, it's this trade. I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna, you know, put it, and then I get the Coke out. You know, this is awesome, Coca-Cola. The fourth way that we often define or think about love is as Santa Claus, all right? Since it's Christmas time, we gotta put this one in here. So we think with Santa, if we do all the right stuff, now Santa is up in heaven and he's got his lists and he's making it and he's checking it twice. He wants to find out who's, Yes. So we think that love is, if I do enough good stuff, then I can earn the love and favor of someone else, whether it's the Santa Claus or whether it's your, uh, your spouse, your mom and dad, your brother or sister. We think that we can earn the favor of God. But there's this, there's this exchange, there's this trade happening. If I execute the way that I'm supposed to, then I'll receive love. And we think that's what love really is. But that's not what the scripture says, okay? Here's what 1 John says. So we saw here in verse number 10, we use this word propitiation. Let's say it again, propitiation. Okay, the word propitiation literally means to appease wrath. He says, this is the love of God. He says, God is love, and this is how we know what love is. Verse nine, that Jesus Christ came into the world. And then verse number 10, here's how he displays it, is by appeasing the wrath of the Father, because in our sin, we are under the wrath of God. We rightly deserve the wrath of God. We deserve to be eternally separated from the presence and the love and the power and the grace and the mercy and the holiness and the glory of God. That's what we deserve. I mean, that doesn't sound really loving. It, Four times in the scriptures does it say that God is love. This is one, and we're going to see it actually twice in here. Over 600 times does it say that God is holy. The holiness and the love of God must go hand in hand. If God is not loving, he can't be holy. If he's not holy, he can't be loving. Because if God is only loving and he's not holy, we have to do something with our sin. And there's nothing that we can do with it in and of ourselves. I can't, if someone sins against me, if I sin against you, if, if God is not holy, if he's like, oh, I'm just gonna, it's okay, don't worry about it. That sin still remains there. There must be something done with that sin. But the fact that God is holy and loving means that he is the one who appeases the wrath by sending his son. 
And now we get to experience what true love is. Love, the love of God is only possible because of the holiness of God. The holiness of God, we can only experience the holiness of God in his presence because of the love of God. Everybody with me? Both of those things are necessary. So he says this, this is the propitiation. This is to appease the wrath of God. And some folks don't like talking about wrath. So I'll read from the Psalms because that's a little more palatable. Psalm chapter five and verse number, verses five and six says, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. And this is talking about God. You hate all evildoers. Now real quick, let me know when you find the verse that says God um, hates the sin but loves the sinner. Because here's what it says next. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. There is separation, not just with the sin of mankind. There is a separation between the presence of God and the presence of man. He doesn't just hate what we do. He hates us in the midst of that sin. Like, man, that's, that's really harsh. Yes. But here's what love is. Jesus Christ comes as the propitiation for our sin, appeasing the wrath of God. And here's, here's what I think is beautiful. It says that God is love. So God is love in his essence, but God has wrath. So God is not wrath. God is love. God has love, but he has, God is love, but he has wrath. And that's really good news for us. That wrath is removed from us because of the propitiation, because of the sacrifice, because of Christ coming to earth for us. Now we get to experience the presence and the love of God. Here's the first thing that I want us to see, and we're going to see seven of these. I'm going to hustle through these. But the first one is this. Our sin was so profound. Our need was so great. Our suffering was so crippling and our brokenness so deep that the only thing that God could give us was himself. God couldn't say, ah, man, you're so messed up. Let me do something else on your behalf to be back in a relationship with me. The only thing that would satisfy his wrath was his son. That is the depth of our depravity but it's also the depth of his love. So here he says, this is the appeasing wrath that Jesus Christ came. Now we often work this backwards in our practical lives. We think that we, if, if we can make a moral treaty with God, if we can do enough good stuff, then we will earn his presence, his goodness, and his grace. We think, yeah, if I, if I keep living right, if I keep confessing my sin every single Sunday when the preacher tells me to in that 40-second time, okay, now I'm good with God. Whew, I'm back in relationship with him. Okay, until you get to lunch and the person takes too long and you lose it on you know, the employee or your kids or your spouse or you get home and start looking at something and it's like, oh man, I can't believe it. Oh man, now I'm not one with God anymore. We think if we can stay good, do more good stuff than bad stuff, then we can earn the favor of God. But friend, your sin was so profound that Jesus Christ had to come for you. God's grace is for the weak. We just sang about this. God's grace is for the humble. It's for the broken. It's for the suffering. It's for the crippled. God's grace is for those who understand, I am nothing 
without the grace of God. That's the only thing that I can cling to. That's the only thing that I can fall back on is on the mercy and grace of God. It's for the stumbling. It's for the lost. That's why Jesus, and David said this a few minutes ago, it's why Jesus came as a baby in a manger to say, man, I am here with you. I am here for you. Identify with me and my humility. John 3.16 says this. We saw this last week in a familiar verse to all of us, but it says, for God so loved the world. What What does the love lead to? He loved the world, therefore, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Giving is at the heart of God. Giving is at the heart of God. And therefore, God is a giver, not a taker. That's the second thing this morning. God is a giver, not a taker. God always gives. He gives, 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 gives. He's like, he, he doesn't take anything from you. He says, here's my grace, here's my mercy, here's my love. Here, I want to give this to you. Giving is at the heart of love. And he loved so much that he gave of himself, his only son, who was part of him. Yesterday I was at the barbershop, and uh, the guy who was cutting my hair, Craig, uh, he's not a super talkative guy, he's from New York, nice guy. And I hope he's here one day, hope he's here at Christmas Eve, honestly. And uh, the guy sitting beside me, he was getting his hair cut by a guy named Dre. And, uh, and so, they, but, so the guy, Craig, he wasn't super talkative. And so as I'm overhearing the conversation beside me, though, they were talking about the dating scene. And it was really interesting uh, because it wasn't from a biblical perspective, as you can imagine. And here's what I noticed all throughout the conversation is that it kept going back to what love is. And I was like, man, I want to pull out my phone and just record this whole conversation and just play it for y'all this morning and bleep out some parts. Um, Because it was just so profound in terms of what our world views as love. But here's what it came down to. I don't know the guy's name who's getting his hair cut. I thought about, you know, jumping in and asking, and I don't want to make it too awkward or weird and be like, hey, let me tell you about First John, actually. Um, and also, can I interview you tomorrow morning? But here's what it came down to. He said, man, I'm, not, I'm a good guy. I'm, I'm messed up. I got my flaws. Nobody's perfect, right? But compared to other guys, I'm a really good guy. I don't know why I can't find a lady to be my wife. I don't know why. Here's what he was saying is, the expectation for me, I'm, I'm meeting it. Nay, exceeding the expectation for what a man should be in this world. And I can't find anybody else, no lady friend, to meet that expectation with me. And so the guy had some advice for him, about, you know, about what to do in the process. And I was just like, oh, that sounds terrible, you know. At no point in the process, though, was there ever a, a sac- well, I'll take that back. There was a, a moment of sacrifice. The guy said, man, I've been sacrificing. I've been sacrificing for these ladies, and it's time for me to get mine. That's what he said. He said, I'm tired of sacrificing. He said, I'm a good guy. That's when he you know, went into that spiel. And I was just like, man, hope you find, what, a, you know, what a lucky lady. You know, hopefully he finds that. You know, that would be so awesome. Hopefully she recognizes how you know, privileged she is to be dating and marrying this guy. Friend, that's not the picture of love that we have here in the scripture of what Christ did. He didn't say, here's the expectation. I'm perfect. I'm holy. Now, you be that as well, and then I'll love you. 
That's what we think in our religiosity, in our church systems, in our morality. We think, oh, okay, as long as I'm executing, doing these lists of things, then God loves me. No. God comes and he says, man, you, you messed up. He tells Israel. He says, man, you messed up. That's what you're worshiping? That's what you keep pursuing? I brought you out of Egypt? I parted the Red Sea? I brought you out of slavery? And that's what you want to do? Man, you, you're nasty. You're ugly. You ain't got nothing going in your direction. But you know what? I love you so much that I'm going to come down and become one with you as a human. Let's keep going. Verse number, verses, uh, verse number 13. We're, I skipped over 11 and 12. We'll come back to those. Don't worry. I don't dislike those verses. They're good. We'll hit them in just a minute. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. To save us from what? Sin? Eh, kind of, to save us from the wrath of the Father. God sent his son to save us from himself. Oof, I'm gonna get some text about that one. Verse 16, sorry, 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, real quick, I'll, I'll sit on that for a second. This wasn't in my notes, oh man. We are still in sin, Right? We're still sinners. Everybody with me? Yeah, we're all there. We can all raise our hand. If you're not, this is especially for you, okay? We're all in sin. So if we say, I have been saved through the blood of Christ, is that true? If you are in faith, yes. Verse 15, those who confess Jesus Christ, he's who he came for. You have experienced salvation. Are you still in sin? Yes. So we still deal with the presence of sin all around us, and we are saved. That's why we call this the already, not yet. That's why the season of Advent, we look back at the first coming of Christ, and we look forward to his second coming. That's what these candles are about. Like, man, we should be growing with anticipation, not just on Christmas morning where we get a bunch of awesome gifts, but we should be growing with anticipation that Jesus Christ is coming again. Right now, we are fighting the presence of sin. We are fighting the power of sin. But thankfully, we no longer have to worry about the penalty of sin. So when we talk about salvation, as we have lived in faith and as we have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, as long as we have believed in faith, the penalty of sin was placed on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. The penalty of sin is God's wrath. So right now, we have been saved from the wrath of God. We are still experiencing sin. One day, we will be saved from the presence and the power of sin. Praise God. But right now, we have been saved from the wrath of God. So Jesus Christ came to save us from God's wrath. And he will save us from sin one day. Okay, we'll keep going. Verse 15. So how do we enter into that relationship? Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. Here's the third thing. God's love is not something we simply believe in, but are invited to experience. We don't just, with our minds, say, yes, I believe in the love of God. Isn't that amazing? Oh, it is so great. Yes, I believe it with my mind. 
God says, no, I want you to abide with me. We just got through going through the fruit of the Spirit, and especially in John 15, he says, those who abide in me, you are in me and the Spirit is in you. There's a relationship that's happening. That's why we call it the incarnation. Anybody took Spanish in middle school, high school, college? Uh, carne means what? Meat, amen. It means meat or flesh. It means that God put on flesh to identify with us. He came down, not just so that we could believe in him, but so that he could be one with us and so that we could be one with him. And in the same way that the sun radiates heat and light, God radiates love because that's his nature. 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. We're familiar with this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We think, okay, how do I do this? We think, why is my spouse not doing this? How do I take steps toward this? And that's all fine and good. But when we look at this, it's talking about love. What is God? God is love. When he relates to us, this is the way that God relates to us. And that's where all God's people said, thank you, Jesus. God is patient and kind. He does not envy or boast. He doesn't want his own way. He's a giver, not a taker. He doesn't rejoice in wrong. He rejoices in the truth. God is born all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He wants what's best for us. This is his character and nature. For those who are in Christ, God cannot stop loving you. For God to take a pause from loving you, no matter what you've done, if you are in Christ, for God to take a pause from loving you, even for a split second, would be to go against his own character and nature. God cannot do it. He cannot stop loving you. It's against who he is. So here's the next thing that I want you to see is that God cannot help but continually and lavishly love his children. By faith, if John says it, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, then you are abiding in the spirit and the spirit is in you. And this is the relationship that you have with God, one of continual, constant love from him. So when we talk about the love of the Father, this is not something that we go, you know, that we can enter into and then we're like, oh man, I'm in sin, I'm not in the love of God. No, it's continual. He's pursuing us. He's chasing us down. I was at Target on uh, Wednesday or Thursday of this past week and, uh, and my wife was busy working at the school. I told her about this story last night. I, I said, hey, when I tell stories about you, would you rather hear about them for the first time? Uh, when I'm on stage or not. She was like, oh no. And uh, then she started throwing stuff at me. Um, not really, that's not part of the story. So I was walking through Target and I felt like there was just a, a little bit of distance. She was busy working at the, at the boys' school uh, doing like a Christmas shop. And uh, we just, you know, we just, a busy time of year. The way that I take that is, oh man, she's upset at me. She doesn't care about me. She's not there for me. She's not pursuing me. And that's not true, just so you know. And so as I was walking through Target, I went there to see if I could find a cool Christmas shirt and I uh, couldn't find one. And I mean, all this stuff, I was like, this year, it's not, it's not great. So I was like, 
I want to go find something to buy for Shannon, like a candle or something for the house, some pill, you know, something Christmassy, some pillars or something. And all the ladies in the in the you know church said, "Yes, good job, at a boy." But here's my, as I was walking through, I was like, why am I wanting to do this for my wife? I thought, well, because I love her. Fair enough. And I'm hoping that if I give this to her, she will experience my love and then respond by loving me. Right? And I thought, if I give her this, it's going to make her want me more. Just relationally. I don't even mean anything like intimately. I mean, just relationally, I want her to notice me by me giving her a gift. And let's call it love. Like, well, this, this doesn't sound as good as when the story started. Here's what I was essentially saying. And I, I actually stopped and I was walking like through the Lego section, didn't buy anything. Um, I, was, I was like, whoa, this is, this is utter manipulation. And I'm calling it Love. I'm saying I want to buy this gift for my wife so that she will pursue me. I want her not to see this gift and her to, I feel loved. I want to give this gift to her and say, I love my husband. Now, if, that's, if she wants to do that, then sure, okay, great. But that was my hope and goal was for my own selfish desires. That, friends, is called manipulation. At that moment, I thought, man, why do I, why do I feel so lonely? Because the whole day I'd been wanting just to call people. And I thought, man, I just want to be in relationship. I want to be pursued. I want to be cared for. I want to be seen. I feel missed. I feel lonely. I feel left out. I feel abandoned. And in that moment, they're in Target. We're not still protesting them, right? Like, it's okay? Okay, just making sure. (laughs) So they're in Target. I had a quick little worship service. I was just like, man, I am, I am so selfish in the midst of my sin. I am forgetting about what Christ has done. I'm forgetting about the passage that I'm preaching on Sunday. This is a picture of love, that we are pursued, that we are wanted, that we are loved by Christ, that we are invited in. Now, I have the opportunity in Christ to be reminded of that. I don't have to experience those emotions of being lonely or abandoned because I'm with Christ. I was looking just at the surface. I was looking just at this world as we see it. I wasn't thinking about a deeper spiritual reality. And then I thought, man, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I forgot that I'm one with you. I forgot that you sent your spirit to abide in me, that I'm abiding in your spirit. Now, I can buy that candle for my wife as a gift of love for her, not as a hope for experiencing love for myself. This is not self-love, and I bought Shannon a candle. Now, if I'd been expecting a certain response from her, it would not have been love. If she'd taken that candle and said, you know what, this candle, it doesn't smell good, I'm throwing it in the trash. Now, would that have hurt? Maybe, (laughs) maybe a little bit. I thought it smelled good. But by me saying, this is for you, I'm saying you take this sacrifice, you take this gift and do with it what you want. This is not for me. This is not for you to respond to me a certain way. This is for you. That's love. That's sacrifice. 
That's the love of Christ. That's how we were able to love each other is only through Christ, only through his spirit. Verse 16. I, I would encourage you, by the way, um, I'm gonna, let me read verse 16, and then I would encourage you to take a picture of this next screen. Verse 16 says this, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. There's the second time. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. A couple of questions for us. This is hopefully going to challenge this verse right here. Because here we're talking about believing in God. But a couple of questions. Because it's easy for us to live with this idea of the, the worldly definition of love. Of it being sentimental or being like a vending machine. Or being this exchange of give and take. The first question is this. What's your earliest memory of not feeling loved or good enough? Maybe another way of saying that was your earliest memory of feeling inferior or as if your background or your story or your family was not from the right place. I'm not asking for a response, by the way. I've asked this question. We actually went over some of these questions at Shine a couple months ago. And I've asked my siblings, Shannon, some of y'all, and it's always interesting how visceral the response is because it's like, boom. I remember as an elementary school kid. I remember as a middle school kid. That's when I felt that way. I felt the memory of not being loved. Second question, which parent did you look to for approval but never got? Thirdly, who do you believe you need to be in order to be loved? Even this morning at 11.28, who do you believe that you need to be in order to be loved today? Who do you believe that you need to be in order to be worthy of love? Here's the struggle of sin and shame, okay? And here's the fifth thing that I want us to see. Here's the struggle of sin and shame. When we think we are unworthy, when we think we're undeserving, when we think that we are failures, that we're unimportant, when we think that we're stupid, that no one should love us. When we think that we are unworthy of love, then we start living like we are. We start living like we are. I change who I am or I pretend to be someone different. I believe that no one can understand me and so we begin to isolate ourselves from social, social situations. I believe that I'm so different from others that I stop engaging in a relationship out of fear of being rejected, fear of being mocked. I don't want to be seen as a failure. I stop hoping and dreaming, and I become cynical. Here's the voice of shame. Here's what shame says. It says, you're never good enough. Shame says, you're never good enough. Haley, you can put this up there on the screen. It says, you're a mistake. Real quick, the difference between guilt and shame, guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Guilt says, here's my action. Shame says, this is my identity. Shame says, you're never good enough. It says, you're a mistake. You're unwanted. Shame says, if people really knew you, they wouldn't love you. Anybody there? Anybody there? And that's when we move into, in order for me to experience love, 
in order for me to be loved, I have to stop doing these things, stop looking like this, change who I am and start doing this. Start behaving in this way. Start acting like this so that I am worthy of receiving love. It's often easier for us to agree with the lies of the enemy. From the very beginning, Satan has said, did God really say did he really say that he created you in his image? Did God really say, and this is where we get to verse number 16. It, John says, it's easy. He says, for those who believe, we've believed this about God. And we say, yes, I believe this. And I hear these voices over and over. So which one is it? John says, yes, instead of agreeing with the enemy, agree here with what God says about you, that he is love, that he sent his son for you, that you can be in the spirit, that you can be of the spirit, that he wants to be with you, that he loved you this much. Instead of agreeing with the enemy, that you are rejected, that you aren't enough, that you are a mistake, that you aren't worthy of love, that you deserve condemnation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 24, it says, there is a better word that is spoken over us, a better word than shame. And that word is the blood of Jesus. He says there, the blood of Jesus speaks justice and mercy over you. We're not just under the justice of God, praise God. We're under his justice and his mercy. The blood of Jesus took the justice that we deserve, the condemnation of God the Father on our behalf, and now we get to fall upon the mercy of God. Friend, this is the voice of shame. This is the voice of the enemy saying, this is what you believe about yourself, what others believe about you, and what God believes about you. But at the cross, you are fully known and fully loved. You are fully known and fully loved. Because on the cross, Jesus said, man, you are really messed up. You're so messed up that I have to die for you. The second member of the Trinity, of the God who spoke all of creation into existence. You're so messed up and you rebelled so hard and you think that you're so religious. You think that you can do enough to earn my favor. That's how messed up you are. As a result, I, God, have to come down in flesh and die for you. You are fully known in all of your sin and you are equally fully loved. Because God said, this is how love is displayed through sacrifice, through giving of myself. I'm not asking to take anything. I'm not trying to take your joy. I'm not trying to take a better life for you in this world. I'm not trying to take your eternity. I'm not trying to take your identity. He said, I want to give you all of these things. This is what you were created for. This is what love is, the picture of the cross. Paul says this in Romans chapter five, verses six and eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What do we do to earn the favor and the love of God, the sacrifice of Jesus? <clears throat> Nada. We wouldn't even want it were it not for the grace of God. A few chapters later in chapter eight, Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How great is his love. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How many things? All things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Who is to say you're unworthy? Who is to say that you're a mistake? Who is to say that you're a mess up? Who's to say that? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Friends, that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Because now even Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, he's mine, she's mine, she's mine, he's mine, they're mine. Not because they're so awesome, not because they, they chose me first, not because they wanted me to go die for them, no. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And here John says, remember that. Be reminded of that. Again, verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe. We, we know and believe these things. But he's saying, be reminded of those things. Abide. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Then these last couple of verses. Verse 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us. In other words, that word perfected means made complete so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. In other words, he's saying you're no, no longer under the wrath of God. You are made one with him because of his love. You don't have to experience the condemnation of others, of yourself, of the enemy, of God. You are in his love. Here's the last thing that I want you to see. Is that the enemy's greatest threat is the children of God knowing who they are. The greatest threat to the enemy, to Satan, to the devil, to the evil one. The greatest threat to him is that we as God's people would know who we really are. That we are chosen that we are redeemed, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that we are adopted, that we are his, that we are loved. That's the greatest threat because that's our greatest joy. If you look here in verse number 18, it talks about the perfect love that has been perfected in us. It casts out fear. God has made love visible to us in Jesus and he makes love visible to others through us. So this is where we get to revel in and experience and bask in the love of God. We also get to live from that love. Look back at verses 11 and 12. I told you I'd hit those. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Those around us, they can't see God. We can't see God. But how is God made visible? Through us, through the way that we love each other and through the way that we love them. Through the way, that we, that's how God is made visible. And then look at verse number 19, the last verse. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. That word first right there, another way that you could translate that is the word before. In other words, he loved us before we even thought about loving him. 
He came to us. He extended himself to us. He said, I love you. Before you got your act together, before you made a decision, before you believed right doctrine, before you rededicated your life, he loved you. He wanted you. And just like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, he pursued you. He wanted you. That's the love of God. Nothing that you could have done. It's all him. So how can this be the best Christmas ever? Simply by receiving the love of God in Christ Jesus. By taking that love and saying, yes, I received that love from him. You're saying, yeah, yeah I made a decision uh, I, to be saved years ago, months ago, whenever. Uh, amen. I would say the love of God is still being made manifest Let's receive that love that God has for us. It's not something that we just believe. It's something that we experience. And instead of seeking the gift, we get to seek the giver of love, of Jesus Christ. He didn't just say, here's love. He came down and demonstrated love. That same day that I went to Target to appease my wife's wrath, I, I'd actually gone to Home Depot before that um, just to balance out uh, my hormones, I guess. And... Uh, I went to Home Depot and to get a couple things. As I pulled into the Home Depot parking lot, it's like on Wednesday or Thursday, I pulled into the Home Depot parking lot, and it was like middle of the day, and there's, uh, there's a, an F-150 sitting there, and it's pulling a, a trailer, a car trailer. On the back of this trailer is a Porsche, and that the, on the trailer, it was on fire. So right under the, the, the Porsche, the, uh, what had happened is the, the tire had blown and sparked something had caught on fire. And there's one guy running from the Home Depot store out to his car. Now, his wife was standing there on the phone, uh, and she's like, you know, she's panicking. The guy's running out with a fire extinguisher. And I was on the phone with Shannon. I said, I said I've got to let you go. This looks intense. So I hung up. I run over. I said, hey, man, I said, what can I do? Fire was, you know, coming up, hadn't quite hit the car yet. He said, he said, I'm trying to keep the fire off the car. Go get fire extinguishers. So I go running inside, and it's just me and him. And I go running inside. Hey, hey we have any fire extinguishers? And of course, the Home Depot employees were incredibly helpful, and they just went like this. And so I grabbed that fire extinguisher, and I go running back outside as fast as I can. And uh, so he, about the time I got there, his other fire extinguisher had gone out. And so I start, you know, spraying it. He's like, I'm not trying to put the fire out. I'm just trying to keep it off the car. And I was like, fair enough. This, it was a probably 2017, 18, you know, Porsche uh, Boxster. Decent car, you know, better than my 08 Honda Ridgeline. And so I'm seeing them putting this out. Uh, Home Depot employees start filing out because, I mean, it's just billowing. The fire is growing. We can't put it out because the tire, uh, it's a, you know, rubber fire, I guess. And so it's, it just won't go out. So we're just trying to keep it off the car. The wife is yelling, get away from there. Get away from there. It's about to blow. And we're like, no, we're saving this car, man. Whatever it takes. In the midst of it, I, I was thinking, man, if this guy is out here by himself, he's going to die. He's going to die. And I'm not just trying to save his vehicle. I, I don't want him to die. I've never met him. He's from Florida. Uh, he's got a nice car. I was hoping he'd you know, give me a ride, something. Um, so I go running back inside, get some more fire extinguishers. Employees start filing out. The police show up. And uh, they, so if, uh, if y'all are the car over there, they're back over here behind the trees, like in the parking lot at, uh, at Home Depot. And the guy, he's like, he's like hey, can y'all help, you know, help me put the fire out? They all, they all have fire extinguishers. There's about six or eight of them. And they're like, nah. They said, we're not getting close to that. That thing's about to blow. And when that car blows, it's going to catch your truck on fire and it's going to blow too. And they're like, we're not getting close to that. And so me and this guy over here are like, okay, <laughs> you know. 
I didn't say I was smart, all right? And uh, so we, we keep putting this fire out for several minutes, just me and him, Home Depot, probably 50 Home Depot employees just watching us, you know, half of them had their cameras out. And that was it. Uh, finally, the fire truck, you're like, how does this story end? Yeah, we didn't die. But the whole time I was like, man, this is, this is really intense. The fire uh, department, they finally get there with the fire truck. They bring water. They douse it. At this point, I mean, this, the sky is just filled with dark black smoke. Everybody was out of Home Depot, you know, watching the smoke. All the police officers are sitting back watching the smoke. Uh, like, it was, it was just a really intense, crazy scene. So uh, we got done, and I walked in the park, my truck, walked inside, and my adrenaline, you know, at that point drops. And I just broke down crying. And I was like, man, that was, that was pretty intense. Like, that was, that was pretty close to death. Because that fire was all up under that vehicle, right on it. We were just trying to just barely keep it away. Went through about a dozen uh, fire extinguishers in the process. It was, it was crazy. As I walked out, and I called Shannon, she didn't answer. So that's when I went to Target, okay? So that's how that story goes. And, uh, but here's what I thought. Not everyone that we run into is in as immediate physical need as that guy is. Not everybody that we see at lunch is going to be walking around with a dumpster fire, you know, like that you can't put out. No, but not everybody's walking around with immediate physical need like that. But everyone that we see around us is walking around with a deep spiritual need that only the love of Christ can satisfy. So that guy right then, his biggest need that he saw was his car not catching on fire and exploding. But even in that moment, there was a deeper spiritual need from that guy. And I could tell by the words that he was using. Uh, there was a deeper spiritual need by that guy. And that was not for his car to not catch on fire, but it was for the love of God to invade his life. But the same is true for all of our family members, for each one of our kids, for each of our coworkers, our neighbors, those who we're going to run into at lunch, those we're going to see at the grocery store, they have a deep need, an intense, immediate need for the love of Christ. Is it going to make everything in their life beautiful and perfect? No. But it's going to satisfy and it's going to fulfill. I would encourage you to invite them into love. Invite them into life into purpose, into meaning. That's the beauty of what Christ has done on our behalf. That's the only way that this year we can celebrate and have the best Christmas ever. And it can be our best Christmas ever as we live in and from the love of God. And not only our best Christmas ever, but it can be theirs. Father, I pray that through the power of your spirit that we've just read about, that you would allow us to experience the love of Christ. We pray for those who have a wrong definition of what love is, who have a misconception about what the gospel is. I pray that we would take the love of Christ to them in our attitude, in our words, that you would draw them to yourself. I pray that we would see you, not for what you can give us, but that you are the gift and that we get you. We get your love. 
we receive that even now. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.